All right, um, let's just go ahead and get to work. Pray with me. Woe to me, O oh God, for I am unclean, a sinner found in your presence. Wash me with your word. Wash us by the blood of Jesus that we might be made clean. And Lord, as we sinners saved by grace enter your presence, hear your word, give us ears to hear, hearts to obey, eyes to see, feet to go, and a love and a unity that can only come by your Spirit. Move through your word, O God, and have mercy on us in the name of Jesus. Amen. We've come to the end of Galatians. Um, and so we're going to get a little bit of a review, but it's going to look a little bit different. It's not just going to be a review of Galatians. It's going to be a review of Scripture to date. Uh, And so it's not just a review, it's kind of a little teaser for next week. Uh, And there are a lot of themes that run through the scriptures. Uh, And one of the more prominent themes is that of the counterfeit. As you know, in the beginning, God created everything, and everything was good. He created for himself a kingdom, and his kingdom was good, and it was full of creatures, and he made it and prepared it for his special creature, humanity. And it was good. And in Genesis 1 and 2, as we're going to see, there's this picture of a kingdom and a king and his people living in harmony. And then in Genesis 3, we get the entrance of another creature. Or at least it looks like a creature. It seems to be a creature. Uh, But as you look closer, we, we find that it's a counterfeit. It's an imposter. It's a serpent, but it speaks. It belongs, but it doesn't. And this counterfeit, it's, it's there to, to seek and to deceive and to destroy the harmony that God has created. And as Adam and Eve together eat the fruit that God told them not to, they believed the counterfeit over the real. Paul says it this way in Romans, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the truth of God for a counterfeit. And that thrusts all of human history into this cycle, into this vicious cycle, this 
pattern of having to deal with counterfeits. That's the entire story of the Old Testament. God's people throughout the Old Testament, they have to deal with counterfeit gods and counterfeit laws, counterfeit kings and kingdoms. They have to deal with counterfeit homes, places that are not their own, that they're tempted to make their own so that they might be comfortable or for whatever reason, but that aren't really the land that God has given them, the promise that God has given them. The battle with idolatry is the prominent battle of the entire Old Testament because it is the prominent battle of all of human history. It's our battle. It's idolatry. And what is an idol? It's a counterfeit God. And so throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of the Old Testament, we get this battle with counterfeits. And then Jesus comes. And he's the real. He's the true. You can say all these things thinking about capital letters, capital R, real, capital T, true. That is Jesus. And he comes. He lives a life that we couldn't. He dies the death that we should have. God, in his power, raises Jesus from the dead. He's real. His words are true. His actions prove him. His love is pure and from God. And we see him. His people, the disciples, they saw him. They saw the evidence of the resurrection. And they believed, and all of a sudden we have the church, the the collection of people who follow God. And it seems as though now that the real has come and has done his work, we shouldn't have to deal with counterfeits. And so we see counterfeits in the church, and, and it doesn't make sense. And so Paul has to deal with it. And really, isn't that what's happening in Galatians? Isn't that what we've been studying for the last a uh, few months. This idea that there is this counterfeit gospel. He says it in, in uh, chapter 1 of Galatians that there's someone who is preaching to you a false gospel, not that it's a real gospel. It looks like a gospel. It sounds like a gospel. But it's fraudulent. False. And if you take heed of that false, fake, counterfeit gospel over the true gospel, you will find peril. That's how he starts. And then he says, listen to the circumstances that he says brings about this. There are people who are brothers, although we're not sure if they're brothers, they're counterfeit Brothers who come in preaching this counterfeit gospel. This is what we've been hearing all through Galatians. And that's what Paul wants us to distinguish between. That's what we're called to distinguish between here is the real and the counterfeit. In fact, this is, this is the title of, of today's sermon is the real and the counterfeit. And we're going to be looking specifically at Galatians 6, 11 through 18, at this summary of this 
discernment that we've been called to make, this delineation between the real gospel, the real God, the real community of that God and the counterfeit. So if you will, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 11 through 18 together this morning. Stand with me as we read God's holy word. And let me just say that it is a... It is a great blessing and a great mystery to be able to, as a community, together, look at the revealed word of God, to look at scripture and to hear God speak to us through his people, through his apostles, through his word. Um, This is a blessing Uh, that we should not take for granted. And one of the ways that uh, the church in the past would remind themselves not to take the Word of God for granted was found in their liturgy. When the Word of God was read, the one who read it when he finished would say, the Word of the Lord. And the people would respond, thanks be to God. And so let's practice that. After we read the word, let's not just hear it and and think, oh, that was nice. Let's remember that this is from God and let's give thanks to God for revealing himself through his scriptures. Read with me. Galatians 6, starting in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The word of the Lord. All right, you can be seated. Like I said earlier, we are looking at the counterfeit versus the real in Galatians. That's what this has been about. Uh, We've been looking at how there is one true gospel with one true proclamation, and then there's the counterfeit, and all of that gets summed up in these last few few verses. Um, And so all we're going to do is we're just going to walk through those verses, and we're going to look at some of the different categories, some of the different things that come up, and we're going to describe the real, the true, then we're going to describe for a bit the counterfeit. 
And then hopefully we'll make some practical applications from that. Starting in verse 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now this is not an abnormal thing for someone to say. In fact, uh, when you look at the history of epistles, which Galatians is. It's a letter from a leader to a group of people. When we use it in the biblical context, it's a letter from an apostle to a particular body of believers, uh, to a particular regional church. And a lot of times what would happen is that the apostle or the leader would be dictating and someone else would be writing the letter down. Uh, and so we, we kind of get this image maybe of um, Paul sitting behind his desk, you know, writing out or um, spelling out each little thing, thinking about it, maybe crossing it off and, and going from there. And then he's kind of gone through too many, you know, too many edits, so we'll just rewrite it so that it's nice and clean and sending it off. But that's really not um, what happened. Uh, typically, somebody else would write the letter for Paul. Uh, It was just the custom. And so Paul's speaking, and it's being written out, and then what would happen is in the end, and this is a pattern in epistles. Uh, If you've read through the epistles, you see this, that at the end of every letter, there's a a time for announcements, send my greetings to so-and-so, a benediction, which is a blessing, poured out on on the community. Uh, All of that, Uh, is given, and that would be in different handwriting. Because at that point, the actual author of the letter, the one who's sending it, would write for themselves. And so you would see the difference in the handwriting. And so you wouldn't even need to really say, hey, look, I've started to write this, because the people would know that, oh, the handwriting has changed here, this is... Uh, written specifically by the one who sent the letter. But Paul here makes it a very important case to point out the obvious. He says, look at the large letters that I'm writing with. They're from my own hand. This letter is from me. And it comes with the authority that I come with. And if you remember, Paul spent Nearly two chapters of Galatians defending the fact that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. That he met all the qualifications for the apostles. And all this is about authority. What's happened is that counterfeit authority has come in posing as leadership and said to the church, uh, specifically to the Gentiles, if you want to be a part of the church, if you want to be a part of Christianity, we're getting a lot of blowback here, you need to be circumcised. And Paul says these guys are imposters, they're counterfeit, but I'm the real deal. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I have suffered for the cause of Christ. I know, and you can know, that I speak with authority because Jesus has given me that authority. I am an apostle. And so right off the bat, we see that there's real authority and there's counterfeit authority. And for us, there's real authority, and that's apostolic. When we say that, it comes from the apostle. In other words, we're saying Scripture is authoritative. Now, ultimately, what we want to say and what we are saying is that God is our authority. But Christians 
hear this. God has revealed himself definitively in his word. The the early term that was used for the collection of books that we call the Bible was the canon. And canon literally means measuring stick. It's a yardstick. If you want to know how long a ruler is or how long an inch is, you use a ruler. Right? Or if you have the technology, uh, you want to know how long a centimeter centimeter is, you use a laser. There's a standard. And the early church referred to Scripture as the standard by which you measured truth. So if someone made a truth claim to you, you held it up to the ruler that is the canon, that is the Word of God. And if it aligns, then it's right. Then it's trustworthy. And if it doesn't, then you can cast it out. And so if I say this is an inch, you take it to the ruler, it's actually three and a half inches, You can discredit my ability to measure things. Or at the very least, you can say, no, that's not an inch. And as Christians, we have to be able to discern truth. And that only happens as we hold it up to the measurement that is Scripture. There are counterfeit authorities. There are people and things that hold themselves up as authority in our lives. They make truth claims. They tell us we must be a certain way. We must do certain things. Uh, There's the self. Trust me, no one will deceive you more than you will. No one will lead you to sin and to uh, false belief, to idolatry more than you will. There's no entity or force in your life, more powerful in turning you away from the Lord than your own heart. And too often, as Christians, we are not told to distinguish between the Spirit and our flesh, our hearts. How do you do that? The Spirit speaks by the truth of the Word. If your heart tells you to do something and the word says the opposite, it's not an inch. Try again. And then there's the zeitgeist of the day, the zeitgeist, right? The spirit of the day. Culture moves and shifts and it turns. And principles and thoughts of what's good and true, they change. And unfortunately... Because of sin, the zeitgeist of the culture is almost always leading us astray. Every once in a while, they say something that is true. Even if their source isn't true. But for the most part, what is the, what is the pathos? What is the, the way of our culture? It's follow your own heart. Make your own truth. The only heresy in our postmodern culture is to say that there's heresy at all. The only sin is to be intolerant of anyone else's sin. 
Our culture makes truth claims. Every television show you watch, every movie, every album you listen to, every book you read, every politician, every commercial makes truth claims. And you, as Christians, have to have the discernment to weigh those truth claims against the Scripture and see, test if they are true. But then Paul goes on in verse 12 and he says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In the very beginning of this book, Paul said that there are people preaching to you a false gospel and it's not a real gospel. And that false gospel was Jesus plus something else equals your salvation. And if you remember, we've said it definitively time and time again. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Jesus plus anything equals peril. In other words, there's a true gospel, and that gospel is grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. That gospel is that God created us in his image, but we have traded his truth, we've traded his glory for the glory of created things, and thus we've fallen away from him. There's a standard that God gave us that we did not and cannot meet. And so God sent Jesus. And Jesus lived the life that we should have, should have, but we could not. And then he died the death that we deserved. So that if we would have faith in him, we could live. We could have life beginning right now. And life abundantly. All you need to do is place your faith in Jesus. Trust Jesus. It's grace. The counterfeit gospel is flesh. And look, when it comes from the Judaizers, it's literally flesh. Be circumcised and trust in Jesus. The problem is that when you add one qualification, you have to then add all the qualifications of the law. That's what Paul says. So if you're going to keep one aspect of the ceremonial law, You better take bacon off of that burger. You better make sure that the clothes you're wearing is not a blend. Because otherwise you failed. Every aspect of the law then must be kept. It's the flesh. And in our day, there's a gospel preached as well. It may not be the Judaizing gospel, the Judaizers gospel, but there's good news preached. It happens every time you turn on the TV. I will be watching football after church. It's just going to happen. And at the end of every segment, they're going to cut to commercials, and I'm going to hear and see gospel proclaimed. I'm going to hear that you are not as good-looking as you want to be, you are not as successful or happy as you should be, but there's good news. If you will trust in and demonstrate that trust by purchasing my product, your hope will be fulfilled. 
Isn't that every commercial? Oh, I'm in the office. I'm kind of nerdy. It's so drab. All the women in my office are just so drab. Corona. I'm at the beach. Good news. All the girls are scantily clad. I can sin freely. Great news. This is the gospel of Corona. You laugh, but it's true. Right? There's the gospel of Clearasil. Oh gosh, there's that pizza face kid with no friends. Or even worse, you're Jessica Simpson and you have a music career, but still your face isn't where you want it. There's good news. Put your faith in Clearasil. You'll have all you need. Right? Our politicians, they preach a gospel. We have to be weary of it. Look, this is not a ignore politics. This is not don't vote. This is be careful because on both sides, they're preaching a gospel to you. They're saying, look, you don't have jobs. You don't have health care. You don't have the life you want. Trust in the government. Trust in the government to provide you with those things. Right? It's a false gospel. The government can't save. Don't put your hope in the government. Talking to you, Democrats. I am. Don't worry. There's more to come. (laughs) Healthcare. We need it. We want the best healthcare. We want an economic system that is revitalized. Nothing revitalizes an economic system like capitalism. More specifically, a free market. Put your hope in the free market. It's the gospel of the free market. I'm talking to you, Republicans, Libertarians. There's some truth in those things. But they're false gospels. Because they're calling you to put your hope in anything, something, anything other than Jesus. And your mode of salvation changes from grace through faith in Jesus Christ to your purchase or your vote. Some of them are even a little bit more subtle, right? I said I was going to watch football tonight. Sports? How hard you cheer? I mean, if you don't think that that an athletic event is a worship service, then you're not paying attention. (laughs) And where do you find your salvation, right? When your quarterback doesn't throw an interception late in the fourth quarter, and you hold on to get that win, I'm looking at me, Cowboy fan. It's true. They're all around. Counterfeit authorities preaching counterfeit gospels. And then look at the motivation here. Paul continued in 12, in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, 
but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. The motivation of the counterfeit authority preaching the counterfeit gospel is fear that they will be persecuted and pride. The motivation of Christ and of the apostles who preached Christ and who continue to preach Christ as we study the scriptures is love, mercy, compassion, the glory of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross, not first for your sins, although largely for your sins, but first for the glory of his father. And these men and these women who preach to you false gospels, they do it, they did it then for the glory of their own name. They did it, they do it now for the glory of their own fame. We do it for our own glory. The motivations are so different. And when the motivation and the message and the authority are different, the result is going to be different. The result of the counterfeit gospel of Judaizers, of the Judaizers, was a circumcised unbeliever, a circumcised lost person, because they ceased to put their hope in Jesus and they put it in the flesh. Now before you judge them, look at your own hearts. Paul says, look, neither circumcision counts for anything. This is verse 15. Nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. All right. um, Flashing back to that original counterfeit encounter or encounter with the counterfeit, Genesis 3. Um, Adam and Eve recognize their sin, they recognize their guilt, and so they cover their bodies with suits of fig leaves. The Judaizers and the Galatian Christians who have been tempted to follow after them are trying to cover their sin with the circumcision of their flesh. And a lot of times we as Christians try to cover our sin with our self-righteousness. We try to cover our sins by being visibly obedient so that the world can see how righteous and holy we are. We try to hide our sin in success. We try to cover our flaws. People do this all the time. It's not just Christians. We try to cover our flaws in success, in wealth, in fame, in status. We think if I wear these things, people will not see how broken I actually am. And you know what? You might be right. And it might just be the worst thing for you. We don't want... Works covered, self-righteousness covered sinners. We want new creations. 
Because that's what happens in Jesus. Jesus makes you new. This is what he told, this is what Nicodemus in John chapter 3 could not understand. Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born of water and of spirit. What he's saying is you must be made new. You must start over. And Nicodemus could not understand it because he was believing the false gospel of works-based salvation. And Jesus was preaching to him the glorious, the good, even great, greatest news, the gospel, that in him we can be made new. As we look at the crucified Christ, we can be made new. This is why Paul says in verse 14, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is why he won't boast in his works. Paul had a lot to boast about. Paul doesn't boast in how many people he's seen converted. Paul doesn't boast in his conversion story. He tells it, but it's not as a badge of pride. Oh, I used to kill Christians, and now I am one because I saw the light, and I turned myself around. How many of our testimonies sound like that? I was living bad, and then I realized I had to make a change, and so I did. There's no hope in that. I mean, good, good for you, good. But salvation is in Jesus. You have... You have to boast in Jesus. That's why we sing, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Because Jesus is literally all we have. So Paul boasts in Christ because through Christ, he sees the result. He is crucified to the world. The world to him. He is dead to the world. And once he has been crucified with Christ, and, and this is unpacked more in other epistles of Paul. But once he's crucified with Christ, he is free by the power of the Spirit to be resurrected with Christ as a new creation. He is not the old, flesh-driven, dead man that he was. In Christ and in the cross, he is new and he is free. The result is not behavior modification. It's not Flesh modification, it's a new creation. Then he goes on to say, and this is verse 16, As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Look, this doesn't hit us as hard as it would have hit them. Because the people who are causing this mess, the people who are coming with false authority, preaching a false gospel, are Judaizers. They're Jews. They understand themselves to be the true Israel of God. In fact, what they're saying is to be a Christian, 
To be a Christian, you need to first become a part of physical Israel, the circumcised community of faith, and then trust Jesus and you will be a Christian. And what Paul says is that the church is the one true Israel of God. He says stuff like this all the time. In Romans, he says that uh, there's a tree that God is saving. That tree is the Israel of God. And branches are cut off and branches are grafted on. It doesn't matter which your story is. If you want to be a part of the true Israel of God, if you want to be saved, you better be grafted onto that tree that I'm saving. You know, God isn't just picking up individual branches and putting them in a bag. He's attaching them to a tree so that they will be alive. And it doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what you did in those eight days after you were born. What matters is the work of Jesus Christ grafting you to the saved tree. In other places, we see that it's people of faith who are Abraham's children. And when I say in other places, I mean three chapters ago. Jesus says it. It's children of faith, children of obedience who are actually Abraham's children. Let that set in. Because being a part of that covenant, authentic, real community comes with promises. All the promises of the Old Testament, all the promises of Scripture are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Not in circumcision, not in keeping the law, not in finding any of the things that the Spirit of the day tells you. They're in Jesus which is why Iranian pastors who are being imprisoned, persecuted for the sake of the cross, have infinitely more blessing than the billionaire Christian, Christian, in the United States, who thinks that somehow their obedience to God indebts them and that's God both to save them and to make them wealthy. It's why those who are persecuted appreciate the glory of the cross in ways that those who do not live their faith are going to take that one back. Those who are persecuted for the sake of Jesus, for their faith, understand the glory of the cross in ways that other believers can't for a myriad of reasons. For a myriad of reasons. And why we are supposed to feel blessed when we're persecuted because all of a sudden things shift. Why do you think that historically speaking, the church has grown the fastest when it's persecuted the most violently? Because all of a sudden we have to start remembering what true blessing is. All of a sudden we sing, all I have is Christ, and we mean it. Because on Sunday morning it's easy to say all I have is Christ, but I also have my car that I drive to my job with. 
And I have a couple good savings accounts and they'll provide for me. And I have freedom and liberty. Those will help keep me. And I have a pretty good doctor as well. know where their blessing is and their blessings have been shown to us the blessings of God the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus and so this real community it's spirit filled it's authentic it's self-sacrificial and look when I say authentic that doesn't mean that we just do whatever we feel like or say whatever comes to our minds because hey man I'm just being authentic I'm just keeping it real When I say authentic, I mean that we strive together after Jesus Christ, recognizing our own sinfulness and looking humbly together to Jesus to be strong in our weaknesses and to be adequate in our inadequacies. And trust me, He is. And then when you add all of these things together, you see that there is the status of the counterfeit. This is not a counterfeit status. This is the actual status of the counterfeit and the status of those who are part of the real community, believing the real gospel, submitting to the real authority of Jesus Christ. Those who submit to the real are sons, family. And those who submit to the counterfeit are slaves. That's been the the entire series title, Sons or Slaves. What are you? What will you put your faith in? Who will you put your faith in? Will you trust Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and be a son of, by the Spirit of God? Or will you trust yourself or will you trust the fleeting culture of the day and become a slave to your own desires or a slave to the whims and the fears of those around you? I invite you to trust Jesus. If you haven't, you have not yet come to know and trust and believe Jesus, if these things strike you and you say, I see myself sitting with the counterfeit instead of standing with the real, do not hesitate. Even as we're praying now, ask Jesus to forgive and to restore you. Talk to us. Talk to Brad, David, me, any of the elders. There are home group leaders that are going to be outside and visible for you. Talk to them. Do not hesitate. Receive the real, the one true God. Trust in Jesus. Please rise for the benediction. Where do we put our hope? What gospel do we listen to? From the book of John, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Go in peace this week.